Lord, you've told us that you'll be with us in the fire and in the flood. And Lord, whatever fires and whatever floods we have seen or experienced or observed even this week, Lord, we pray that just now as we worship, as we hear your word, that we would know that you are with us and for us in the flood. And we pray, Lord, that your word would bring new life where things have been swept away, where stuff's been burned up. And we ask, Lord, that out of devastation, out of confusion, there would come clarity and there would come hope and new life. And Lord, we pray now in your name for your spirit to come and uh, refresh and renew our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're still continuing uh, to think about this whole theme of relationships, and uh, I think this is the last in our series on uh, relationship revolution. Uh, But I want just to begin by thinking a little bit about lists. I don't know about you, but maybe you're writing your Christmas list, if you're Mary. Maybe uh, you are thinking about friends to send Christmas cards to us, too. But... uh, I have a problem with lists. I don't know about you, I fear that moment when you're asked to give thanks for what people have done at an event, and you get up, and suddenly you begin to rhyme off a list of names, only to be conscious that you're going to miss somebody or something off that list. And I've done it a few times, and no doubt I have offended many of you who are here by missing you off the thanks list. I struggle with lists. They're dangerous, aren't they? It's so easy to miss somebody or something off. Well, you may kind of share my concern for lists when you uh, discover this fact that I picked up just recently on the BBC website, where uh, the BBC, at least, were reckoning that there are now something like 100 100 different gender labels that people are using for themselves to identify. So never mind the LGBTQ+, that plus is a plethora of different identities that people are seeking to place upon themselves. And that seems to me to be a recipe for putting your foot in it when there is a list. So I'm going to put my foot in it this morning, and uh, we're going to think a little bit about this whole area of identity and this most contemporary of conundrums about how we identify ourselves and how we describe ourselves and how we find out who we are. Now, I want to say at the beginning, I'm so not an expert on this, but I think as Christians, we need to begin to explore what identity means, because identity is a big issue. People are looking for their identity, and all of us, I'm sure to some extent, are seeking to discover who we are. Identity is a fundamental issue in life. How can I find the real me? Where do I belong? 
And those questions are so fundamental that they're great places for us to dwell in as Christian believers as we seek to share the good news about Jesus, who gives us a new identity in him. And so I want to talk a little bit, if I may, about identity. And before we just get to the scripture this morning, I want to think about how we search for identity. And I guess we do that in lots of different ways. But some people look for identity, what I've called from the inside out. You know, you're searching for the hero inside yourself because you know it's there somewhere. At least you've been told. And uh, maybe you're still looking uh, for that hero inside. And, you know, sometimes we sort of research through the rubble of all our problems and our past. And we hope that lurking somewhere underneath all the stuff, underneath all the dust, there's the real me. Look, there it is. Maybe. And we look inside in the hope that we will find ourselves. Others of us look to the outside. And, you know, we kind of think, well, you can kind of be anything you want to be in this world, can't you? In our present age, you can be anything when you wish upon a star. You can be anything. You are. And identity for a lot of people is, is from the outside in. It's like a costume play. And I don't want to in insult anybody, but think about gray-haired, hairy bikers. It's a new phenomenon, isn't it? Men of a certain age grow facial hair and get Harley Davidsons. And there's all identity. You've got to wear the gear, you've got to buy the clothes, you've got to have the right bike, you've got to you know, drive around on Sunday mornings making a lot of noise. But it's not just those. We have goths, we have yummy mummies, some of you perhaps, we have silver surfers, we have all sorts of these identities, and to some extent, you know, we feel comfortable when we're with that tribe or wearing those kind of clothes or being in that kind of environment. We can be what we want to be. Just put on the leather jacket and grow the beard. There you go. But this thing about identity is probably turned up to the max when we think about our gender identity. And our whole society faces some really difficult problems and issues and puzzles over this whole area of how we identify ourselves. And some people, in order to find a sense of completion or harmony, go to the extent of modifying their bodies and their behaviors so that that lines up with who they feel they are inside. And many of us feel the personal anguish of, of friends and family members who are seeking to find their identity in their uh, gender. So I don't want to diminish this in any kind of way. This is a very significant issue for many, many people. But before I get into, and I'm getting to the scripture, honestly, I'm getting to the scripture. Before we get there, I just want to give you a brief uh, language lesson. Because I learned something. It's good to learn, isn't it? Every day is a school day. But I learned something recently about how we talk about sex and gender. And uh, I found this really helpful. Uh, gender as a word only really appeared in the early 1960s. So before 1960, we had sex, but not gender. Gender was introduced as a technical word to help people talk about the stereotypical roles that men and women played in society. And so academics in particular wanted to disconnect what your biological sex was 
from how you conducted yourself. And this was, you know, the revolution and all sorts of things. So um, women particularly were able to uh, forge new ways of being in the world and, and new uh, ways of working and, and, and so on. And it helped break down some of those restraints, some of those inherited perspectives, because gender was something you could, or your gender role was something you could change. You didn't have to always be, you know, washing without the washing machine, you know, you could wash with the washing machine, and life was changing. I'm beginning to dig a little bit, so I better just move on. <laughs> but the two words were intentionally intended to be, mean very, very different things. But in contemporary conversation, sometimes deliberately, people are conflating these two things. And so people are uh, talking about uh, sex as being something that's fluid or biology being something that, and to some extent it can be, but people are talking about a a fluidity that um, is perhaps larger than what it ought to be considered. Anyway, I'll leave that there for you to think about. Most of us, I'm sure, are simply perplexed by what we face. And I want this morning to really shift that conversation and to shift it to some um, biblical anchors, Because the scripture has a lot to say about our identity that is far more profound than how we conduct ourselves in the world or what we choose to put on to be in our society. So I would like you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read just a short segment in Galatians uh, 3, which uh, we're going to look at uh, in just a moment together. So Galatians 3 verse 26 which says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so I want to talk about the foundations of our Christian identity that Paul brings to us in this passage. First of all, we have a Christian identity. I am not my label. Paul says here, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. The first thing that's probably worth saying this morning is that our identity is founded not fundamentally in our biology or in our gender or in our society, but identity is founded on Christ. The salvation which Jesus won for us is is blind to race, to background, or to our gender identity. There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And Paul himself was preaching into a culture which was riven by divisions, identity divisions. In particular, there were racial divisions. The Jews saw themselves as having a particular credibility before God and particular ways of conducting themselves that showed that they were acceptable to God. The Greeks, of course, felt themselves to be um, intellectual, philosophical, and liberated. They were very different. 
And in the Galatian church, these two communities of people came together. And Paul says the qualification for you to be part of the community of God is not your background, not your race, not your gender, but the fact that you have been saved by the work of God in Christ. The cross covers it all. In fact, Paul will say to the Corinthians, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. The old labels that we use to divide ourselves up have been ripped off. We are no longer named by our labels, but named by Christ. We are Christians. Now, that's not to deny that we're physical beings, that we have social settings, we have um, different backgrounds, we have cultural influences. But fundamentally, we need to remember that as part of the people of God, the one thing that gives us identity, that gives us status, that qualifies us for the immensity of the goodness of God is simply that we have said, help me, Jesus. Would you come into my life, forgive me from the past, and make me a new creature in you? That is what identifies us. We have a Christian identity. And that Christian identity, secondly, is an identity which is a baptismal identity. Sorry, I'm fighting with this here. Baptismal identity. We're baptized in Christ. That's what Paul says here. For all of you, we're baptized into Christ Jesus. And here, um, Paul is referring to, to water baptism, to this time when we pronounce our faith with Christ. Not because something magical happens in this uh, water behind me, but because when we bury ourselves in the waters of baptism and rise up to proclaim our faith in Christ, we're identifying with what God did for us in Christ on the cross. Our baptism proclaims our conversion. It proclaims our union with Christ. I am in Christ. And the scripture talks about being united with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. The, the scripture tells us that the old has gone and the new has come. That we've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me. I am not my own. I've been bought at a price. In Romans 6, Paul uh, outlines this way in which we are united with Christ in his death. And as we unite with Christ, and as the, the water symbolizes, we are washed of the old labels of the past, the old things that define me and describe me, no longer speak with authority in my life. They are dead and buried with him. So that as I'm raised up, I'm identified with Christ in his resurrection, in his glory. The old labels no longer stick, and I belong to him. I am bound to him. And that new life is a new life of forgiveness, isn't it? I can say I am a forgiven man. That's who I am. The old is gone. The new has come. I can say I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. 
I am an eternal creature. That's who I am. I am deeply loved. I am completely forgiven. I am fully pleasing. And I'm totally accepted in Christ. My identity is a baptismal identity. I'm united with Christ. Some of you may uh, have read or know the, the story of the ugly duckling. You know the ugly duckling and how the, the duckling uh, kind of grows up so kind of overwhelmed by its, uh, its own ugliness and, uh, its, uh, and despairs of, of what it is. And then uh, with all its kind of mucky feathers and all this kind of stuff. And then one day it's wandering about and it looks over into this, this pond and it looks down into the pond and of course it no longer sees the ugly duckling, it sees the swan that it was all along. And it sees the beauty, but it sees its identity. And some of us need to take a good look in the pond and recognize who God has made us to be. God does not make us ugly. He makes us whole in him. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you need to remind yourself of that reflection of Jesus Christ that is in us, that transforms us. We have a baptismal identity. I am in Christ. I am His. That beats everything. That triumphs over every other identifier that we can place upon ourselves. But we also have a social identity. And... Uh, we're told here that we are part of Abraham's seed. Of course, there's always a, a, an effect that people have on us. Our identity is shaped by the family that we kind of grew up in, by the community people that are around about us, our friends, maybe even the Harley Davidson tribe that you're part of that's telling you you need to grow a beard uh, or whatever. Our community shapes who we are. There's a safety and security that comes from knowing that we're part of a particular tribe or gang or community. And Paul says here that each of you who are baptized into Christ are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed. That means we're not just individual saved people, hallelujah, but we are part of this great community of what God has been doing. We've joined an amazing story that's been going on for century after century as God has reached out to people to bring us back and to transform us and make us his own. You don't get to change your story so much because we've had so much influence in the past. But in Christ, we get plugged into a new story. We belong to a new narrative that shapes us. Our identity is part of that story. The Jewish people knew that really well because whenever they have a Passover, the Passover becomes not just a story about the past, but it becomes our story, our story now. And when we take bread and we take wine, we remember the Lord's death, not just because it was an event that happened, but because it's now part of our story and our lives are shaped and formed by it. Our Christian faith is not just a bunch of nice ideas, a kind of Argus poster to get you through the week, but we are the consequence of a story, not just 
a made-up story, but a story of events, of things that happen. We are here because Jesus really came. We are here because Jesus really gave himself. We're here because Jesus really is God made flesh, who truly gave himself on a cross for all of us that we might know God's forgiveness. We are part of an amazing story. We are part of a story that is an ongoing story. It's a story that is um, being uh, exercised right throughout the globe, across the nations, even as we speak. And it's an amazing story that has an ending. You know, if you're part of something and you know where you're going and you know what the end is, you begin to get shaped by that end. You begin to have a bit of hope. You know, if you know that uh, the future is pretty miserable, then you're going to be miserable. But if you understand that God is at work to bring things, all things, everything in heaven and earth under the feet of Christ, then that just jigs me up a bit for the day, if not more. If you know that God's work in us is a not yet finished work, then you're happy to press on and to be transformed and to recognize that we're not yet all that we will be. We're part of a story. And Paul says we're heirs of the promise of God. He is taking this somewhere, and we are part of it. Not only that, we have a social identity because we're part of a community of people. Our true selves are shaped by being in relationship with people. We all know that solitary confinement is a punishment, not a blessing. And to be on your own and to be isolated is often a very damaging and degrading thing for our lives. We become who we are in relationship with one another. And the gospel is to be lived out in relationship. So we get to help one another to grow in our identity in Christ. That's why the scriptures are, so often invite us to, to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to encourage one another, to put truth into one another. Because when we do that, when we speak blessing and truth to one another, it not only builds us up, it grows us up. And that's why when we gossip and hurt and we say things that are damaging to one another, then we damage the body and we damage our identity. Children of God are part of a community. We have a baptismal identity. We have a social identity. And we have what I've called an appropriated identity. I've been struggling all week for a different word for this, but I hope I'm going to explain it to you. Paul says, I have been clothed. We are clothed with Christ. Isn't it wonderful that God takes us exactly as we are, but he never leaves us as we are. And he takes us and he transforms us into what we could be. That he looks at Jesus and begins to form Christ within us, not to make you the Messiah, but to make you like Jesus. You see, you and I are not only human beings, we're human becomings. We're on the potter's table. We're in the hands of the master craftsman, and he is transforming us to be something far more than we can ever imagine. And here Paul calls us to participate, to get involved in this transformation of our identities. He puts it in the language of putting on, putting on clothes. He says, you've been, um, 
All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You're already in Christ, but you need to appropriate, you need to put on that which he has given to you. You are beloved, but you must live as one who is beloved. You are called, but you need to live as one who is commissioned to bring God's kingdom into this world. You are gifted with the Spirit, but you need to be filled with the Spirit. You have the assurance you are saved, but you need to take on board the assurance of that salvation. God calls us to put on what He has given to us, to believe the promises that He has gifted us with. Now, you may have had this experience in uh, the past where you were dragged by an enthusiastic mother or father into a clothes shop when you're getting ready for the next new school term. And they took you into the clothes shop and you saw a blazer or a coat or uh, whatever it was that you were to be clothed in for the new term. And you were then given this coat, which generally speaking, in my experience, was three times too big for me. And you kind of go in, you know, and it's like that. And what was the thing that you're told? Don't worry, you will grow up into it. Christ is always too big for us. Jesus is far larger than we could ever imagine. But we're called to grow up. We've been clothed with royal robes of righteousness, but we need to grow up into them. We need to walk about confident that we have been clothed in the purity, in the holiness, in the forgiveness of Christ. We need to stand up tall and know that we're being clothed in his, um, his life, that he has given himself for us. We need to take hold of the character of who he has made us to be. And fundamentally and finally, I think that really means to know that we have been adopted by the Father. We've been accepted into the Father's family. You are all, Paul begins this little section, sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This is God's great gift to us. Not only does he forgive us, not only does he wipe away the past, not only does he give us new life, not only does he give us the spirit, but he gives us access into the heart of the Father. He gives us relationship with him. You see, God's naming of us is not just some word that's put over our lives. It is the whole of his life given for us. For those people who adopt children, when you adopt a child, you don't just simply change their name. You change their relationship, don't you? You don't just sign up to make them part of the family. You embrace them and you give them everything that the family has. They become an inheritor of the family jewels. They become a participator in the family life. They become loved in the community of the family. And that's what God does for us. He doesn't just simply, though it actually might even be enough, write the words forgiven over us. But he actually imprints the word beloved child on our hearts. Jesus says, I'll not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, 
and you in me and I in you. We are welcome, adopted into the loving embrace of the Father. That's where our identity comes from. And it needs to be refreshed in that relationship. It's so easy to fall off the wagon and pick up our identities from what people tell us, from what's going on in society. But we need to find ourselves in that place where it's the Father's word that's been spoken over us, where we're hearing what God truly says and thinks of us. The Father who loves us despite knowing your whole life story. The Father who loves us despite knowing every skeleton in the closet, knowing every moment of our sin, our shame, and everything that darkens us. The Father who knows us and loves us despite our shallow faith. How amazing would it be if we were to trust our identity to the Father? He loves us with that everlasting love. He identifies us as his children. I want to finish with a little uh, poem. Many of you will uh, know of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was the German pastor who sought to uh, help the church to stand against the the pressure of uh, the Nazi party uh, in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. Eventually, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned. He was part of a a plot to assassinate Hitler, and um, he was uh, discovered and then placed in prison in Berlin. And in the midst of that imprisonment, he began just to, to question his reputation and to question his own personal history. And uh, thankfully, he put some of his thoughts down in words, and these were uh, sent in letter form from the prison. And this is what he says. I'm going to try and read this a little bit slowly so that you can uh, pick up the words. There in the prison, with all the things that he has been called, uh, with all the uh, thoughts that he has about his own success or lack of success, he says this, am I then really that which other men tell off? Or am I only what I know of myself, restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others? Am I a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from every victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, you know, O God, I am thine. So let me pray. Lord, in the complexity of our lives, in the midst of all of the stresses, all of the pressures that people put upon us, the labels that we place upon ourselves, Lord, we thank you that you know who we are. 
and you call us by name. And Lord, we thank you that we are united with you, that who we are is dependent on what you have done for us and what you say of us. Thank you that we are new creations, that the old is gone and the new has come. Thank you that we are children of the living God who have a glorious hope of the promise of a wonderful, eternal inheritance. Thank you, Lord, that we are children of the Father. We're adopted by you. Lord, we thank you that we are yours. In Christ's name, amen.